On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. That Red Sea poll today, lead story in the Business Post, which finds that three out of four people believe Ireland is taking in too many refugees. We are joined by the Green Party TD for Dublin Fingal and the Minister of State at the Department of Integration. Minister, thank you for joining us this lunchtime. Your initial reaction to that finding that three quarters of people believe Ireland's taking in too many refugees? My first reaction, my first question was, well, how was the question asked? And I, I, I think um, with a lot of these survey questions that kind of demand short, sharp responses. They don't leave an awful lot of room for context. And unfortunately, I think sometimes the the potentially desired answer, the wording for the desired answer is actually in the question, um, which isn't the ideal way of doing it with something as complicated as migration. I, I think if you were to ask people a question like, you know, as one of the richest and most stable democracies in the world, and we're marking 100 years since the end of the Civil War this weekend. Should we stay in an international treaty with 145 other countries that allows people fleeing war, persecution, oppressive regimes, abuse of human rights, to, to make a request to the Irish state for protection? And in the context of when across Europe, all other states are seeing similar increases in people seeking protection. I, I think, and that's a complicated question, mm. but it's a complicated issue. But I think if people were asked the question in a fuller context, you'd get a very different answer. So, I think, so you think that the, the question that was put to people, they were, they were asked whether they agree or disagree with the statement, I think the number of refugees Ireland is taking in is now too many. You think that it's the, the framing of the question it is what's influenced the answer? I think to some extent, yes. I, I also think that, you know, people go about their business uh, every day. They don't think an awful lot about the migration issue um, if they're not working in the area directly or not directly impacted. And I suppose they'll see what's happened in the media in the last couple of weeks and months as well. And they'll, when, they, when they're asked about this subject, a couple of things will probably come to their mind. Um, they'll probably think of the situation where we have unaccommodated people on the streets and they'll probably think of protests. Um, but but as, as I suppose the point I'm making is there's a wider context here as well. And, and I think it's fair to say that we are coming out of a situation where we've had two arguably um, once-in-a-generation global phenomenon in terms of the war in Europe, the war in Ukraine, and the exit of coming out of the pandemic as well. I think both of them contexts have had an impact on the fact that across Europe at the moment, uh, countries are, are struggling to deal with the number of people uh, that are seeking protection. But but I suppose the wider context here as well, and we forget about it in Europe too often as well, is 69% of refugees globally are in neighbouring countries and 74% of refugees globally are in low and middle income countries. And I met last year at, at a European event, I met the Lebanese foreign minister and he explained to me the pressures that they were under. Mm. Lebanon's a country of 5 million people. They have about 1 million refugees. You know, so I suppose... Yeah. Put in context the fact that, you know, we had 19,000 people looking for protection last year. It's trending similarly, maybe a bit lower this year. It could be around the 18,000. Mm. That's not disproportionate um, for a country the size and the status of Ireland in the international context. The problem is we didn't build the proper system 
to accommodate those surges. Um, so you, you think that the wording of the question then might influence people. There's a few other questions which are worded in, in more straightforward ways. Uh, for example, um, when asked whether they agreed with the statements, I can appreciate some of the anger people feel about asylum seekers being moved into their area. 76% of people said they agreed. Only 21% of people said that they disagreed. So three quarters of people say that they appreciate some of the anger people feel about asylum seekers moved into their area. What do you make of that? Yeah, look, and I don't want to harp too on about the wording side of things. Look, I, I understand people have questions and concerns about how government is dealing with the people co- coming in at the moment, and, and those are fair concerns when you see the fact that we, we haven't been able to accommodate everybody coming in as well. Mm. Well, I'm but, not sure that the, the, the poll finds that people are really all that concerned about that either. 41% of people say that they, are, they don't have any issue with the state's failure to provide accommodation. Yeah, I, I, again, I'd like to, you know, we'd like to be able to tease that out with people as well. I mean, I, I, I do think we've done well, you know, this time last year, or actually earlier in 2022, we were accommodating about 8,000. 8, we, we now have 80,000 people. We, we are in a war situation in Europe as well. Uh, it's important to keep reminding people of that. And I, and I think, and I do see this on a weekly basis, Hmm. The response from communities and towns and villages across the country has been very strong. Like we've opened 154 new international protection accommodation centres since January last year. The majority of them have been accepted in the locality as well. Uh, Now, some of them we could have done better on. Uh, Some of them we would like to have had more time to inform the community in advance. Hmm. Unfortunately, the situation at the moment is when we get a contract signed, uh, and when we're in a position to share finalised information about it, we have to move on it very quickly because we do have people uh, mm. on the streets, we do have people unaccommodated. Uh, and, you know, if we're able to procure accommodation for the next five months of this year, the way we have actually in the first five months of this year, and we've, we've added 5,000 beds to the international protection accommodation stock in the first five months of this year, if we're mm. able to do that again this year, I think we we can get ahead of the curve and we'd be in a better position yeah. um, to inform people as well. And I understand um, that people would like uh, more information up front, um, but there are some uh, reactions yeah. that are not reasonable. Some are reasonable uh, and some are unreasonable. So what, what are the reasonable ones? What, what, what is a reasonable reaction? What, what are reasonable concerns that people might voice? Uh, I, I, I think having information in advance that is significant um, facility was going to open in a community uh, with a bit of detail and an opportunity to ask questions in advance information about how it's run and, and so on and so forth and what kind of supports are in place as well. Uh, like a lot of concerns that I come across with new centres and the community around them is, well, how are they going to link in with the local community? What's their transport link like? Uh, are they going to have access to employment? You know, yeah. what's it going to be like for them as an individual in terms of having a good experience as well. Mm. There is one poll question which um, does appear to maybe go against the grain of the others, which is when uh, people are asked whether the, the system for processing international protection applications, uh, wh- what they think about the speed of it. So when when they were asked whether they agreed that it's too slow, 65% of people said yes and 10% of people said no. Now, everyone accepts that the housing situation or trying to, to find accommodation for an increasing and large number is a very difficult thing and that any government, even with the best one in the world, is always going to struggle to deal with the numbers that we have. The time for processing an IP application is something which is directly within the government's control, is it not? Absolutely. And, and I think 
I would certainly agree that we need to speed it up. Um, last year, I think you were looking at a processing time of between 17 and 24 months. I know Minister Harris and Minister McEntee have been working on this. I think in 2019, you had 143 staff in the International Protection Office. You have 299 now. And I know Minister Harris is, is determined to bring that number closer to 400 by the end of the year as well. We're looking at a processing time generally around 10 months now. We need to get that down shorter mm. as well. What, just, what would be an appropriate the, turnaround? What, what do you think should be the target time we're aiming for there? I, I, I think you should be looking at a six-month period, but that's, um, but that's, that's, the, that's the ideal. We're certainly working towards that, and I think everyone would agree, applicants, communities, government, um, human rights NGOs, that the processing time n- needs to be shorter. And that mm. was what's envisaged in terms of the white paper as well, where we have, I suppose, two different types of accommodation, large reception and integration centres where you have all the services, the integration services, the support services where someone would spend uh, a period of months. Mm. And if, if there wasn't a decision on their application after four or five months, that they would move to more community-based setting as well that's integrated into Towns, yeah. Um, in in an instance where somebody has applied for IP and it's been rejected, um, do you think the state does enough, or could it do more, or could more be done by anyone to ensure that those who have sought IP and whose claim has been rejected are made to leave the country again? Um, no, I don't think so. The general uh, consensus and evidence, uh, although we don't have empirical evidence, is largely anecdotal is that people leave after they, they get their request to leave, and it is a request to leave the state. Mm. You're given a few options, and one of them is to leave the state. People are generally leaving. I think a really important point to make is that when someone um, gets their application for protection ultimately rejected, and it's gone through all the phases, and it's clear that they're not going to get status, yeah. they're, they're not entitled to any state services. And I think that's the key thing when someone makes a decision about what to do next. They, they probably have come to the realisation that their case doesn't fit under uh, under the UN Convention. So they're not uh, entitled to any welfare supports, they're not entitled to the accommodation of IP, right. a- anything right. of that sort? Correct, that's correct. When the process has been exhausted, yeah. that's but, correct. But there's no, um, we don't, I don't even know if this is the right word to use, we don't deport them though. Uh, there are a level of deportations every year. There's a, a few hundred uh, deportations every year. But no, deportations are expensive, inefficient, and, and largely unnecessary because of the situation that I've described to you, because people mm. will realise if, they've, uh, if they've, they've been ultimately refused that there isn't a future for them here in terms of uh, that line in terms of international protection mm. anyway. Just and out of interest, is there a reason why we don't have empirical data for the number of deportations that there are? Or would there be any better way of oh, trying to, to log when people do leave the country? Sorry, there is data for deportations. Deportations are state-led and they're carried out by the state. But in terms of people... Like s- self-deporting, I guess, yeah. To, yeah, to voluntarily leave afterwards. Um, it's, it's someone exiting an airport. I, I, I don't think we can um, get on top of the full figures of that. There's, there's one minor piece of context oh, as well in, in terms of, you know, over the last 20 years, there has been a time where we've actually had a larger inflow of people as well. So in, in 2007, we had 150,000 people come to Ireland, 2008, 113,000. And last year was 120. Now, the context is obviously different and the reason people were coming here was different as well. But I think it's an important point to note that 
we have previously coped with large inflows of people before. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, thank you very much for your time this lunchtime. Uh, Minister of State of the Department of Integration, Joe O'Brien, who's also the Green Party TD for Dublin Fingal. Thank you for joining us this lunchtime. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.